There's nothing like a really good Monday morning, is there? Well, at least that's what I'm thinking as I drive to the park with Louis. I did some great work this morning. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm in danger of what's the word for going over the top? Hubris, isn't it? Of being full of hubris. Because here's a little example of what I did this morning. Well, the work I did this morning made me realize that one of the most valuable experiences in relation to giving feedback to a person who wants it is to contrast the effect they have on you with the effect somebody else has had on you in the same areas. So there's a general proposition about that. This morning I had an interaction with somebody and during the interaction I felt nervous, I felt bothered by where is this conversation going to go. I felt bothered by thoughts like this person sounds like as if they are exasperated with me and I feel exasperated with them. And then I thought, ah, oh, there's somebody else who wants me to give them feedback about precisely this kind of area. And I did. And I was giving them feedback about how different they were from the other person. I didn't name the other person. But that helped me because I was thinking, oh, she wants feedback. But, you know, what can I say? What is actually relevant to leadership? because the whole thing was about the person's ability or the person, what I perceived about the person, their characteristics as a leader. So anyway, that was a good, uh, helpful uh, realization. A bit like, you know, there's something I knew before but I'd kind of forgotten. Or I must have known this, I don't really remember if I knew it because it wasn't being useful to me. So that's almost the same as not knowing it, as far as I'm concerned. And then I had something that really blew me up, which was that I have to do a speech tomorrow at Toastmasters in the evening. Um, I, the topic didn't matter. I could be any topic at all, because my performance, if you like, of tomorrow night's speech is going to be contrasted by me and by, particularly by my evaluator at Toastmasters. That speech is, a previous speech I've given is going to be contrasted with this one and the question is really what have I learned from the feedback I was given last time? And uh, that's, I think, a very powerful way of either cementing or amplifying uh, skills. So I, I thought, oh my goodness, I've left it really late to plan the speech or to choose what topic's gonna be about. I did decide that I'm not gonna do the same speech, the same topic again, I'm gonna do a different topic. And I thought, what on earth am I gonna do? I've only got between now and then. I was not in a panic. I've learned not to panic. And I've actually learned that it's the skills 
that I, if anything, I need to panic about. It's not the topic. But I thought, all right, all right, I've heard it said before that you should speak about something you feel strongly about. I don't really care for the word passionate, but you should speak about something that you feel passionate about. So I thought, what on earth are the things I feel strongly about? And I thought, well, there are two or three, and I know there are two or three. But what? Am, and I didn't think of what the other ones were, but I thought, opera. Yeah, opera. Not everyone likes opera. I like opera. I'm doing within pathways a kind of learning journey, which involves becoming better as at visionary communications. And visionary communications involve the ability to provide people with something that, you know, not only express, oh God, come here dog, not only expresses a vision, but, uh, um, you know, gets them orienting into the future in a way that they mightn't have done otherwise. So I thought, well, opera, that's a perfect topic. Uh, because not everyone likes opera, and I love opera, so therefore I might be able to uh, make a speech which expresses my enthusiasm for opera in a way that other people might be then say, hello, good morning, might be saying to themselves, oh, maybe opera is worth considering. Right, I use, and they might be saying the same as I said once, which is opera's a load of cod's wallop. Anyway, in the middle of, I thought, I started off my kitchen deciding I'm going to make a speech about opera. And I thought, well, I'm going to tell the story of my journey in opera. But um, so I began, I picked up a book and I read out uh, the first paragraph in the book. I thought that that could be interesting because that gives me an opportunity to practice the skill of reading a piece of something somebody else has written um, at a point in a speech and the ability to uh, read something to an audience is indeed a valuable skill to have and I haven't practiced it so far within Toastmasters. It's not going to be the toughest skill I need to practice within Toastmasters but it is at least uh, so long since I've practiced it in public except here on um, in audio, in podcasting but I haven't done it in a face-to-face situation so I will do that. So I went on from there to start to talk about um, my experience in opera and I drifted on to the fact that I had gone to see my first opera while convinced and being secure in my conviction that I didn't like opera and that I wouldn't like opera and that opera certainly wasn't for me. And because I went to my first opera thinking that and came away thinking so differently and because that had such an impact on the way in which I subsequently used time in my life because the amount of time I've invested in going to operas, reading about operas, almost like humming operas, uh, talking about opera is considerable and almost like eating opera 
I've got a picnic set up, press. Um, so all of that, and I thought, the speech began with, this is just the earliest first rehearsal even, or the first invention of a speech. The speeching began in my kitchen with talking about opera. It ended up talking about the value of deliberately putting yourself in a position where you knew you were going to be uncomfortable. And the value of that and how that could have a major impact. And actually I found myself drifting into reference to Daryl Davis, the black man who spent 30 years, who has spent, who did spend 30 years talking to the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, which has been one of the most influential discoveries I've had in the last couple of years. I didn't know about Daryl Davis and his, uh, he's a black American man. Um, Anyway, um, all of this is another story, and I then come out of it saying to myself, i got two speeches here. i got a speech which is about opera, and purely about opera, and i got a speech which is about putting yourself in a situation which you don't expect to enjoy, or you have been avoiding all your life. And I thought, hey, that's something that I can also speak with some considerable focus, experience, and conviction. So I then said, I've got two speeches here. And one of them might, might, I stress the word might, be suitable for my competition speech. Because later in Toastmasters, uh, sometime in 2019, I think early 2019, it will be in our club, um, we'll have a competition which will be the first stage of a competition um, world championship and I'm going to enter that competition again I didn't get past the second round last year but I'm, I'll do better this year I believe I'm talking to you beside slow-moving water. I'm looking, wondering if I might see a fish. I'd be thrilled if I did. And I wouldn't expect to see one. I don't know anything about whether there's any fish in this little well it's about it's about fifteen meters across the stream at this point. Oh my god, two dogs are Hey Louis! Louis! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come here! Come on! Come on! Come here. Good dog. You're a good doggy. You're a very good dog. You're a really good dog. Okay, we can say hello. We can say hello. I don't mind saying hello when you're on a lead. Because I don't know what a, what, an, what a dog who isn't on a lead is like. And you cannot tell. It is possible to meet vicious dogs who are off a lead. 
and uh, owners of dogs who get upset when your dog bounds up to their dog, even though this particular dog is loose. Anyway, back to the story. So, in a nutshell, I got, I came away with two, two uh, speeches, and I'm so thrilled that I sent one of the speech. Uh, I sent, I recorded all this on audio as I was doing it. So the thing is, I, I I have a really good friend in the UK. He won't mind me mentioning his name. He's SM2N, and he's here on uh, on. He's he's also a podcaster. Uses Anchor, um, and Simon uh, will, I'm confident, be pleased to hear the audio that I that I made. I did cut out all the silences that I had while I was making it. Um, But I sent it over to him. So that is all... I mean, this is what I call work. I I mean, I... You know, it's different from earning my living. But I really... That... uh, This good mood that I'm in is absolutely lovely for the uh, paid work I'm going to be doing in a few minutes when Roger Overall and I go to visit um, our client. Look at this wonderful dog swimming. A couple of minutes ago I was thinking about Why do you tell a story? Why do I tell a story at all? And the context is that I was thinking of a speech at Toastmasters, which I'm going to do tomorrow evening, and another speech I'm going to do later, um, perhaps even next year. And both speeches, because it's a general piece of advice not necessarily to be followed in every single case but at Toastmaster that telling a story is a powerful way of communicating and I thought but what what are the reasons why okay I'll keep it personal do I tell a story and I thought well okay if I'm to make a full list they've got to include tell a story by accident, which is not really a reason, um, but it is for an ego boost that it enables me to hold the stage, if you like, hold the floor, hold the, you know, hold people's attention for some time, and that's a satisfying thing, I'm just opening the windows of the car, but uh, there's another more interesting uh, reason because I, well, I have to admit that that first one may be a reason I do it, or I have done it. But the other reason is, the other purpose of telling a story is that I have a purpose which is bigger than the story. And uh, in Toastmasters terms, stories are ideally and often told 
in order to get a particular message across. So you might, in theory, tell the story of what you're doing or what you did or what somebody else did uh, this summer or any summer for that matter. But you might be trying to get across the idea, for sake of argument, that it's worthwhile staying in Ireland during the summer. That there are good things that can happen to you if you have your summer holiday in Ireland. And that could even be the purpose of the story is in your role as in your role marketing Ireland or advertising Ireland that uh, it's your job to attract people to Ireland. Or it could be that you're attracting people to fly fishing for which there's good uh, facilities in Ireland, uh, very good facilities in County Cork, that's a fact. And so the question I have is what is my purpose in telling a story? And I need to, I'm feeling now as if I need to have an answer to that. So when I'm selecting what story to tell because a man of my mature years has huge number of possible stories that he could tell I'm not talking about tell the telling well but tell but the issue is what's my purpose so do I have a purpose tomorrow evening if I speak about opera and my passion for opera why do I want to inform people or show people why I love opera so much? Why? Because that will influence the way in which I tell the story. It'll influence how I begin the story, how I end the story, which things I emphasize within the story. And all of this fascinates me. I, I work in, in business as a, and have for some time uh, as a storyteller, both telling stories and helping other people to tell stories. And your a story might be the writing of your About Us page on your on your website, or it might be even writing the homepage. Uh, I don't do images. Uh, other people can do the images. I do text words, although I do understand, appreciate that images tell stories, or good ones do anyway, useful ones do, but what's the purpose? So why is somebody here, let's say in a podcast, playing the music that they're hearing on the streets of Los Angeles, on the streets of, in Disneyland, for example. If somebody goes to Disneyland and tells the story of what it was like to go to Disneyland yesterday, Sunday, or tells the story of what it was like to walk through San Francisco and discover a place that they hadn't known before, what is the purpose of that story? And I have, I must admit, listen to a number of people telling stories face to face and, and even at Toastmasters and I've sat there saying what is the purpose of this story what, what is it 
So I just want to say that that's another good, useful thing that I found this morning. Now it's time to leave the dog at home and go and pick Roger overall up. Are you a fast food person? Yeah, do you go to fast food joints? Do you get your fast food by ordering it on the internet or the telephone? Or do you go to the fast food place and order it over the counter? I'm not a fast food person. I very, very seldom would think of going on the internet and ordering uh, food via the internet. Uh, I really would only do it if my daughter wanted it and it would be pizza and nothing but pizza or perhaps a packet of chips. Uh, I wouldn't have any fast food until, really, until we got this client who uh, are, owns a couple of fast food places in Cork, in Cork. And I am not a fish and chips person. I'm a chips person. Yeah, I like my chips and I like my chips well done. But I'm not a battered fish person. Although I have to say that when I did taste the battered fish in, the, in our client's place, I was tremendously impressed with how good the fish was underneath the batter. Well, it was I knew it was dead fresh. Now, the reason I'm asking this and talking about this is that our client makes a fabulous uh, breast of chicken with pepper sauce, with, well, with pep spices, peppers in it. Oh, it's, as far as I'm concerned, it's to die for. So I had, for lunch today, peppered chicken and chips and I especially asked for the chips to be long um, to be uh, cooked for a long time I still probably have to ask for them next time to be even longer than long but it was terrific lunch terrific lunch I also um, did my first uh, talking to a customer and asking customer what they thought or what the words they, they associate with um, the place we were in. I didn't know that they were Austrian when I started the conversation. I didn't anticipate that they wouldn't be able to understand me and it was a very good experience in my very first uh, chat with customers to, uh, to discover that I must not assume that everybody speaks English. These was an Austrian couple in Ireland for the first time, traveling around Ireland and heading west towards Kerry next. So that was great. My Roger overall actually went and had a very long chat with one of the members of staff there and had a chat with the other member of staff there. And he also spoke to many more customers than me. I only spoke to two customers. Roger did Herculean work. I can't remember. I don't know actually quite how many he'd spoke to. It looked to me like about seven. 
RAs, which is great. And I took a few photographs. And as you can imagine, all of this has me in a very good mood. This weather, the, 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 the temperature has gone up considerably while uh, we were out. And yeah, I'm just picking things up out of the car. There's my bag. I never go anywhere without my Mamuko bag, made of sailcloth. I'll leave the car door open. Wow. Some, and only some, of the garden love this hot weather. Why did they get a little water? God, did I leave the kitchen in this state? I really must do better. So, there we are. Oh. Cheers for now.
And that's the music which first captivated me. The first opera that got to me. The first live opera I'd ever seen. I hadn't a clue what the words meant even though they're in French and I had a bit of French at the time hadn't a clue but I knew what was going on because of the action on the stage and I think if I'd had my eyes shut and heard it sung like that I, although it's for me exquisitely beautiful I wouldn't have had a clue what was going on That, in case you're interested in, is Jesse Norman, American black opera singer. Um, and the version, for what it's worth, that I love best of all is the version by Marian Anderson, sung in the 1930s, recorded in the 1930s. And she was the first black singer or was she the first black woman or the first black singer to sing on the stage in the Metropolitan Opera in New York? Or was it Carnegie Hall? Oh dear, I better check my facts. sustain a note for that long. This has been From Cork with Love Adventure. This is Paula Mani thanking you for listening.